welcome to the Rhythm of Us podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. This past year, we released a book we've been pouring our hearts and souls into for quite some time, and it's called The Rhythm of Us, and it's available now wherever you get your books. Throughout this season, we'll be exploring the five rhythms from our book, as well as sitting with and learning from wise leaders, mentors, and friends in our life about the intentional rhythms that can lead us closer to God and closer to each other. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Rhythm of Us podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Jenny Grapey. And look, today we have one of our good friends, Addison Bevere, joining us on the podcast. And if you don't know Addison, I mean, he's just such a good guy. He's really genuine, but he's done a lot of really amazing things. Written a couple bestsellers. He started an organization called Sons and Daughters. He operates as the COO of Messenger International, who's doing big things for Jesus across the world. This guy's... He's really active, but he's got such a good heart, and I absolutely loved our conversation today. Yeah, we're diving into Addison's new book called Words with God, which is all about prayer. Um, And this conversation was just so rich, so full of new ideas that can hopefully shift our hearts to view prayer in a new way. I just, I had so many amazing takeaways that I'm still chewing on. Um, So we can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation as well. Yeah, and... Listen in on this part where Addison kind of shares a story that he hasn't really shared before that's like really supernatural in nature. And I think it's really going to inspire and show some people what can happen through prayer and engaging God in that way. So with that being said, guys, here is Addison Brevere. Addison, what's up, brother? Welcome back to the show, man. We're glad you're here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Danny. So good to be here. It's been a while since 2020. I know. Last time you were in Colorado and now you live here. We're basically neighbors. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I think for everybody listening right now, it's like if you're trying to figure out where to go, it's Franklin, Tennessee. (laughs) Come on. Come join us. It's where all the the fun is, man. We're glad glad you're here, brother. And really excited to dive into this brand new project about prayer. You know, this new book you've written and, you know, obviously – you and I get to spend some time kind of on the regular in Bible study each week and just been neat mm-hmm. to hear the story of how God's kind of been flushing this out on you and all that he's doing through this new book and this message about prayer. But before we dive into it and, you know, for those listening in who've been a part of this, you know, our community for a while, they heard your first interview back, back in 2020, like we talked about. So they've got to hear a little bit of your story, but I want to step back a little bit in the context of prayer for you. So let's talk about what was prayer like? for you, your journey of prayer, even as a kid growing up through the years, that's kind of led you to this point. What what did that, what did that journey look like for you? I would say I have a very complicated relationship with prayer. I, uh, (laughs) I have parents who uh, are are amazing. They're faithful and they modeled very different practices of prayer. My, my mom is more spontaneous in how she would pray. Like she would take long showers to get away from us boys, there's four of us. And that was her, that was, she called it her therapy sessions. Like she would get in the shower and that was her safe zone. It was basically the only place where her boys wouldn't dare invade her space. And she would go in there and she would wail and she would pray and she would do everything that a mom of four small boys does in the shower uh, for extended periods of time. And I would always wonder like, mom, how long does it take you to like wash your, like, this is ridiculous. What are you doing in the shower? And so I, I saw that. And then my dad is very regimented. He was the one who was up at 5 a.m. in the morning and he's out praying. 
and prays for two hours and reading his Bible. I mean, every single day I saw that model my entire life. And so very different paradigms of prayer. And so I grew up in that. I grew up with, a, with amazing parents who have been faithful to God for over 40 years and uh, in vocational ministry, which is incredible. Um, but I just felt like I wasn't very good at prayer. And I just felt like I didn't do it enough. I didn't do it the right way. Really didn't understand how it works, why it works. I started to be one of those people who just believe like, look, if, if prayer is inviting God to do a good work, that is a good God he already knows needs to be done, then what's the point of praying? Like, what what is this really all about? And I, and I didn't understand the relational component. I view prayer as a transaction or a formula to solve, not an experience to share. And it was in it was in my 20s where I discovered that prayer is something so much more um, than a transaction. It is the invitation to the heart of God and also to understand the heart of others and how that converges in purpose um, and meaning and understanding and community, all of that. And so it's it's definitely been a transformational journey for me into this place now of a more robust understanding of prayer that still feels very early in its in its development. Talk a little bit about kind of the heart behind this product and what led you yep. to put these words on the page. Yeah, absolutely. So I was speaking at a church a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I opened opened the message with the fact that so many of us, when it comes to prayer, we feel guilt, we feel shame related to how we pray why we don't pray the way we should, how we don't pray enough, stuff like that. And I'm finding more and more like people have this idea of prayers. I've got to check all the boxes. I have to say all the right things. I have to take on the right posture. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And going back to what I said earlier, it's a very transactional view of prayer. And there's a lot of people who are frustrated with this view of prayers. Like I did what I was supposed to do. I checked the boxes that I knew to check. And what I was praying for didn't happen. I I went through a season where I felt disconnected from God. I felt abandoned by God. I thought I was doing the right things. I thought I was being faithful. And for whatever reason, God didn't show up the way that I expected him to show up. And so if you look at the title of the book, the title of the book is Words with God, Training Boring Empty Prayer for Real Connection. And it has has a dual meaning. Number one, like how do we have words with God? Is Is there a right way to have words with God in prayer? And what does that look like? But then number two, how do we have words with God? Like when we're angry, when when life hits us across the face and we're disoriented, what's the right way to have words with God? I mean, I look at something like Psalm 142, where David says, I pour out my complaints before you, God. He's not like I, you know, I, I carefully or delicately bring my, he's like, I'm pouring out my complaints before you, God. And so there's there's a part of the inheritance of what it is to be the people of God that literally invites us to wrestle with God. When Jacob was renamed, a part of his renaming was his act of wrestling with God. And, and that's a part of what it is to become people of prayer and actually understand what prayer is all about. And unfortunately for so many of us, our prayer and our practice of prayer is, is limited to this thing that we do that has a clear start time and stop time. And we take on a specific posture and we use specific words. But if what Paul writes in places like Romans 12 and 1 Thessalonians 5, where we're invited to pray without ceasing, that is indeed what prayer is. Then our lives would have to be one mighty integrated prayer, which means that we don't have the right understanding of prayer. 
Like the, we don't, we don't actually understand what prayer is because our idea of prayer, it would be impossible to function in life praying constantly based on our idea of what it is to have worked with God. Yeah. Whew, that is so good. And there's so much there. I have so many questions, um, <laughs> but I, I want to start with, you know, you mentioned something earlier that a lot of us can feel like if I'm not doing this a certain way, then it's not going to work. And we all have different ideas of what that means, right? To work, mm-hmm. um, whether it's getting what we want from God or feeling some kind of emotional connection or high, but you really talk about the power of honesty in our prayers. And I would love for you to kind of hit on that a little bit, that there really is this freedom when we can move past our idea of what prayer has to look like and just enter into that relational conversation with God. I I literally just a few weeks ago with Chris on our I was backstory. just thinking this. I was yeah, like... we had this moment where I was like, babe, like God is really doing something within me, showing me that like, I didn't even realize that if I'm not, thinking about it, if I'm not intentional, if I just, you know, I'm still sipping my coffee and waking up in the mornings, I do the same thing every single day. And I move through this, you know, acts, this like, you know, adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication that I grew up with. And I just follow that structure and check the box and move on with my day. But God really began showing me like, hang on, let's just put that aside just for a second. It's good. It's a good thing Mm -hmm. to have that framework, but just put it to the side for a second. And can you just pour out your heart to me and just be brutally honest with where you are? And I just found so much power and peace in that. So can you talk about kind of why that power is there when we're able to be honest with God and, and why we need that in our prayer life? Yeah. So I went, I went through a season of five years where I navigated insomnia and, um, I did everything that I knew to do. I had health challenges that needed to be fixed. I had anxiety issues. I had stress issues. I had time management I mean, issues. You name it. I was navigating it. And it, it turned into this, this elixir of um, what felt like to me, just like constant anxiety. And um, I would cry out to God. I would pray. I would do everything that I, need, that I knew to do. And it seemed like God was nowhere to be found. And in this season, I, I learned something about the nature of God because I was viewing prayer as the thing that I do to get whatever the thing is that I'm in pursuit of. So the clarity of purpose, um, the healing, the the peace, whatever it is. And I, and I learned in this season that peace, that peace that I was pursuing isn't found in having all of the answers. I really wanted to be like a, a God. I wanted to be self-sufficient. I wanted God to give me the answers and kind of get out of my way so I could get on with my life. I would never have said it like that, but the idea of being connected with him and dependent on him in an intimate way where our spirits are so fused that I have a hard time distinguishing between the two, like that kind of connection, that kind of intimacy that is communion. That's that's the idea when, when Paul at the end of 2 Corinthians invites us into this place of constant communion with the spirit of God. That's, that's what he's describing. I realized in this season that God has a way of not delivering us from a thing if he knows that that thing will ultimately deliver us to him. It's not about whatever the thing is. We make it about the thing in life. And God invites us into these these places of intense listening um, where we start to hear things differently, both internally and externally. 
where we start to engage with God in a fresh way. And it leads us into this place of honesty that we previously didn't know how to access. And if you look at, if you look at Jesus's experience, this is so powerful. Um, his moment on the cross where he quotes David, he quotes Psalm 22, verse one, where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what we don't realize is because, you know, we're, we're Westerners, RG Westerners reading something that we're very removed from culturally. But for, for them engaging with Jesus's words, it would have called to mind the entire movement of Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is a psalm that's referenced in many ways around the, the crucifixion. And, and later in that psalm, David makes a statement. He says that God does not abandon the afflicted in their affliction, nor does he turn his face away from them. And if you look at what the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4, where he describes Jesus as being someone who had to become like us in every sense, in every way, so he could sympathize with us in our weakness, I personally believe that the greatest temptation that we have to move through as humans, as part of the human experience, is this idea that God has abandoned us. And Jesus gives us a language. He gives us framework to call out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's that's actually the place, not where we like, oh man, I've said the wrong thing to God. God's never going to look at me again. That's actually the place where we move through the doubt into a greater revelation of his faithfulness, that he doesn't abandon the afflicted in their affliction. That he is not far from us. And, and I would ask, I mean, those of us who are listening to this, I would ask us, like, can we really understand God's faithfulness until life has given us a reason to doubt it? Can we really like plume the depths of God's goodness and his providence and, and the mystery and the certainty of who he is until life has disoriented our shallow, superficial view of God, who we are, our world, and how all of that intersects. Like there's a, there's a distress that generates an intense receptivity to every shred of communication from God. There is a distress that leads us to a place where we will hear things that we otherwise could not hear, or we will receive words that we otherwise could not receive. And in the book, in the first section of the book, it's called The Canyon. And for many, many of us, when we pray, we're like, am I just talking to myself or is God actually on the other side of my prayers? Am I in a canyon where maybe I hear something, but all it is is an echo of my own words? And, and the truth is a part of the journey into God and the presence of God. And, I, and this became so real for me during these five years where I, feel like, I felt like God had completely abandoned me. Like I wasn't hearing anything. I didn't feel like... God's tangible presence was anywhere to be found. And I felt like I had been rejected. And I realized in this season, Chris and Jenny, I realized that the silence that was loud, it was a loud, it was a, it was a tangible silence. The silence was actually not a rejection. It was an invitation into a fresh way of receiving words from God and engaging with God. There's, a, there's an old quote by Maeterlinck, and it goes, we do not know each other yet. We have not yet dared to be silent together. And I think for those of us who are brought up at the table of cheap words and cheap prayers and cheap religion, we have to go through a season where we let go of these formulas that, that were never meant to be big enough for us to grow. And it's like when you're training a child, you give them things that they're going to outgrow, but they're necessary to that part of their formation. As we're growing in God, there are things that work when we're in our infant stages, but as we grow, we mature in faith. Faith, he invites us into new forms of knowing and new forms of intimacy. And that's where many of us become disillusioned because the accuser comes in and says, 
God has rejected you. You're not enough. You're not sufficient. You're not this. You're not that. And God's actually saying, no, actually, I want you to lean into my sufficiency in a way that's going to reveal just what I think of you and how that unfolds in your relationships and your purpose in your life and everything that is meaningful and wonderful about this journey. That's so good. I want to ask a little bit of a practical way that we can enter into this silence. You know, you talk about um, there being so much power in a prayer that is more than words, right? Um, So talk about what that looks like for you. And do you have any stories of how you have entered into that silent prayer and found God ready to meet you there? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we we live, obviously, we live in a a world that's terrified of silence. Um, Silence has a way of, of revealing the truth of matters to us. There's there's a Psalm, Psalm 65, that says praise waits for you in silence. Like there are words that will only form in that place of silence. And some of those words are difficult um, and, and others others are, are beautiful and meaningful and impactful in our lives. And so uh, a practice that's been around for a long time is the practice of, of centering prayer. Uh, one, of, one of the challenges that we have when it comes to prayer is when I talk about prayer, most people think of us moving our lips and actually speaking. And the truth is that is such a small percentage of what prayer is. That is a small part of the robustness of what prayer is. And unfortunately, we have these shadow forms of spirituality and spiritual engagement, spiritual practices, because we've forfeited, we've jettisoned a good chunk of what has been a meaningful part of a life of prayer uh, for the Christ follower. But going back to this idea of centering prayer, for me, it's it's sitting in silence. I, I actually have a closet right here. I'm pointing to it right here. And I will go into that and I will sit there and I will close my eyes and I will just sit and I won't pray like in the traditional sense. I am repeating a single word. For me, it's presence. And it's a reminder that God's presence is with me. And I sit there and I just have a moment with God where I shut everything out. Now I have those moments but then the idea is to bring that kind of stillness and that that solitude into our everyday lives so that we know how to engage in the midst of activity. See, most of us, we're so frenzied, we're so frantic that we engage with life from a place of frantic inaction rather than having the clarity that comes with silence and stillness. So we actually know what to do. The goal of stillness and silence is not to remain in stillness and silence. The goal of stillness and silence is to know what to do and what to speak when the time comes to do and to speak. And so for me, I mean, I'll share, I'll share a personal story that actually happened this year. Uh, I was having one of those moments and I was in there and this might sound a little wacky. I'm just going to, I'm going to warn y'all this doesn't normally happen. Wacky disclaimer. This is a wacky wacky, disclaimer. I'm just, I'm just telling y'all right now, this might sound like some of y'all might get weirded out by this. So I was in there. And I set a timer when I do this. I typically do 20 minutes of this. And so I set a timer for 20 minutes because I don't want to think about how long have I been in here. I don't want to think about that. So I set a timer. I don't have anything around me. It's dark in there. And uh, I'm, I'm going through it. And when you're doing this, thoughts will come and you feel bad. You're like, man, God, I'm trying to focus on you. I'm, I'm trying to just surrender to the reality of who you are and experience you in my life. And like this thought about groceries, this thought about like what I need to do, it, it comes and you you want to fight those thoughts, but you don't fight them. You actually view them like ships passing on a river or clouds passing above your head and you acknowledge them, but you don't engage with them and you don't feel bad that they're there. You just kind of let them float by. So anyway, I was um, I was having one of these moments and all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm not going to call it an out-of-body experience, but it was something like that. 
where all of a sudden I was looking down at myself and I saw all these fractures and fissures in my body, like these cracks. And I was looking down and I could sense like God was with me. The spirit of God was with me and God was wanting to do a healing work. And I immediately like wanted to take control and start so like, okay, yeah, God, like, let's start here and let's fill this one. And let's go over here. Do, like in my mind, like, that's where I went. Like, yeah, this is so good. Let's, let's hit this. Let's hit that. And I felt my chin just lifted up. And, and what came to me was second Corinthians three, this idea of beholding and being transfigured as we behold him by the spirit. And I heard the word behold and I, y'all, I don't know how else to describe this, but I engaged with a substance of light. Like it was like light, but it wasn't light. And I was transfixed by it. And it was so bright and so overcoming and overwhelming. I didn't know what to do. And then down below, I could sense, I didn't look down, but I could sense that this light, this substance of light, I told y'all it's going to be weird. Substance of light (laughs) was like filling in, filling in these cracks and these fissures. And then boom, like I came out of it and I'm not like one second later, my timer went off. And so I got up, I journaled it all really quickly to capture it. And so there are moments like that, but we don't chase those experiences. Like we don't, we don't chase, we don't chase God. We don't chase the presence of God. Like that's a transactional view of prayer. We position ourselves, whether that's marriage or that's friendship, we're there for the sake of relationship, for the sake of connection, for the sake of giving who we are to the other person and and receiving the joy and and the, the strength and the expansiveness of relationship. But that is a time, relatively recent time, where I had an experience like that during Centering Prayer. And that's something that I would recommend. Um, and, I, and I write about this stuff in Words with God, different practices, ancient practices that people can practice that will help them. But again, like prayer is so much more than that. Like it's supposed to move into every part of our, of our everyday lives. And so what, what can that practically look like? And how does that change the way we interact with God, interact with ourselves and interact with the people who we see throughout our, our daily lives? Love it, man. I appreciate you sharing that story. That's awesome. I think there's probably people listening who have been Christ followers the whole life and maybe haven't had the opportunity to have an experience like that. So my hope is that no matter where somebody is on the kind of the faith spectrum, you know, I love Jesus or I'm completely broken and I don't know God and I'm listening to this for the first time. You know, I, I constantly hear people say to me, especially in some of the business dealings I do some of the entrepreneurial stuff I do guys that go, you're a Christian. Well, I'm really mad at God because he abandoned me. And yeah. I think, so I'm hearing that from people who don't know Jesus and I'm hearing that from people who do know Jesus. So, yeah. you know, but this practical application, this moment of being quiet and sitting in the silence, you're right. It can be really scary for people, but I would encourage those listening right now to kind of sit in the Canyon, like you're talking about, right. And go, okay, God, I'm here and I'm getting quiet and I'm listening. So I really appreciate you sharing that story because, you know, and I, and I also want to encourage anybody who's listening right now to go like, well, I want that same thing. Well, like who knows what God does in your life? You know, like I would just say desire God and his presence and however he wants that to Mm -hmm. manifest in your own life. But I think it starts like you're saying with very practical things of saying, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to put down the phone. I'm going to let the distractions, I'm going to let the clouds go of groceries, but who knows what God could do moments later. So you talk about the canyon inside the book. There's two other kind of real big things. You got these three different pillars. Let's let's unpack what those are and how those play out in our lives. Yeah. So the next one, the first one's the canyon. The second one's the temple. And religion has done a really great job of communicating to us. Unless you 
check all the boxes unless you do everything right. You're not going to get what you need or what you want or what you expect from God or from the gods. And and Jesus deconstructed the idea of of temple and he relocated the temple as far as the place where God wants to meet with us and God wants to know us and we're to experience God. He he placed that here, right here within us. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 6. He makes a statement that you are God's temple. Now we hear that and we're kind of like, yeah, you know. But for them, that was radical. Like for them, the temple was the microcosm where heaven touched earth. The, for them, the temple was the place where, where the deity or the deities did business with the people. And that was a really big idea. And so for me, this idea of temple, it keeps a lot of us from engaging with God and quote unquote, the secular parts of our lives. And that's so sad to me because we're missing out on so much of what God wants to give us in those moments and those opportunities. It's not just about when we're at, at church or when we're in our you know, Tuesday morning Bible study or whatever. Like God wants to have words with us throughout the entire week. Like He wants to be a part of our coming and our going, our eating and our drinking. I think of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking, do it with this awareness of the glory of God, like that you're participating in this new way, this fresh way of being human. And that's lost and bound up in so much religiosity. And a lot of religiosity of what is religiosity has infected our idea of prayer. So I go after that big time in the second section. And the third section is called the dance. And it's this idea that what happens in us in prayer, so the idea is that it would extend through us into our world. Even if you look at the Lord's Prayer, which the Lord's Prayer is not a formula. It's a framework. It's not so much what to pray, it's how to pray. And when we look at the Lord's Prayer, when we read it, it's our Father. It's forgive us our sins. It moves us in this place of other awareness um, that, that leads to the flourishing, that leads to the connection, that leads to the purpose, that leads to um, the, the types of relationships and relational understanding connection that we crave, that we search for, that we desire. It leads to that. Like That's a big part of prayer. And that's why something like forgiveness is at the heart of, of prayer as far as the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus taught us to pray. Because God's very invested in how our lives intersect with the lives of others. That, that, and, but religion again has a way of making all about the individual make it makes it very individualistic like you you do this you do that then baby you're good blah blah and it's like no actually god's inviting us into a fresh way of understanding life that causes us to move outside of our small view of self our small view of life and join and connect our lives with others in a way that leads to fresh expressions that we get to be a part of that will satisfy the cravings and the desires that we have for more and so those those are the movements. And then there's just there's a lot there's a lot of practical within the book itself. There's a lot of again, a lot of practical practices where I, I provide principles and frameworks, but I'm not going to beat people down with formulas. I'm just not going to do it because that's not how prayer was designed to work. And I just in the last week, I received three messages from people who've read the book who have been following Jesus for 50, 55 years and 60 years which I pay attention to those. Like when I get, when I get messages from people who read a book and they're like, I've been following Jesus for 50 years, 55 years and 60 years. And this is, this is what it spoke to me. The gentleman who's been following Jesus for 60 years told me, he said, I can only imagine what my life would have been like if I would have read this book 60 years ago. He's in his mid eighties now. And he said, I can only imagine what, like if I would have known 
he's like, what I'm experiencing now and like this level of connection and understanding of what God is inviting me into. And then the two, the two ladies who messaged me, I mean, basically said the same thing. One of the ladies said, I've been, I've been trying to connect with God my whole life. And she said, in over 50 years, I've never experienced like a tangible presence of God. And she said, for the first time, like I feel the closeness of God and she's navigating um, stage three cancer right now. Don't know her. Um, I actually put my email address in the book at the end of the book, because I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear people's stories. I wanted to hear how this book was speaking to them, how it was changing the way they were having words with God. And so that's, that's how, that's how these messages are coming to me. And I absolutely, I absolutely love it. It's been, it's been really um, incredible to see how prayers that I prayed as I was writing this book, I wrote out a very long prayer that had a lot of specific requests in the prayer that God would, God would do specific things through this book, as far as how he would would engage with people and what it, what would, un, what it would unlock in them. And it's just been incredibly encouraging and inspiring to see how those prayers are being answered, you know, in these messages. So, yeah. The marketer in me appreciates that you put your email at the very end. So like, <laughs> if you want the email, you got to get it and you got to go all the way in, find that gold in there. So that's, I know, I love it, man. It's so great that you're hearing from people and that their lives are being transformed. That's so good. I think it's impossible to have a conversation about prayer without touching on somewhere along the way. Each of us will have a prayer that we pray, a request that we lay at the feet of Jesus that is good in our eyes, Mm -hmm. um, that we're asking for something that is in line with his word that would be good for us or for our family or a healing or something that we're asking for that it makes all the sense in the world that the answer would be yes. But the answer is no. And I think a lot of times that's what trips people up from returning to pursuing a prayer life with the Lord um, that is rich and that is about growing in relationship with Him. Can you speak to that? Um, what do we do when the answer is no? How do we move forward? Yeah. And I, I actually start, I start the book with a story from my own journey. Um, that was one of the, one of those moments where it was like, God, it, it felt providential, even how you led me to praying this prayer. And then the outcome that I was praying for, which was a good outcome, it did not come about. So I spent a lot of time in the book on this because this is the reason why a lot of people have abandoned the faith and abandoned the practice of prayer. And the temptation in these moments, and the accuser does a really good job of this, the temptation in these moments is to believe like that we're not enough, that we didn't do the right things, that that God has abandoned us because it would be it would be shameful for him to engage with us because we are we're products of shame. Um and a lot of people take that view and then other people are just like God God just doesn't exist because this was a good thing and it should have been done and it wasn't done. So God doesn't exist. And and I find those are those are the two two responses to it. Um a couple a couple things. I do not want to give a cheap answer to this. I mean I, again I spent a whole book on this, but a couple of things I'll share. So often when it feels like it's a no, it's a not yet. And I firmly believe that there is nothing, nothing, no prayer that leaves our mouth or even through our thoughts that doesn't find its way to the Father's heart and rest there until its time has come. I fully believe that. I also believe, though, that prayer is so powerful that that God has to withhold the right to grant prayers the way we expect him to grant them. And, and we read this in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, where we read that 
God as a, as a good father. And um, Jesus makes a statement that we as earthly fathers, I'm looking at you, Chris, we are evil. He calls us evil. He says we're evil, which he says, you know how to give. I know I, I, I was offended by that. I'm like, I'm Jesus, I feel like friend, I'm a pretty, bro. you know, I, I'll take I'm like, it. I, feel, I'm like, I, I wasn't Jesus. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good dad. Like my kids love me. I'm looking at Chris because I know you're a good dad. I, I feel like I'm a pretty good dad. And he, and he said, hey, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him in Luke's account? And I was like, okay, this in the Greek, this actually doesn't say evil. Like this is a bad translation. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to the Greek because I was, I was offended personally. I was offended as a dad. I'm like, something's wrong here. Sure enough, it says evil. Uh, so, so I'm like, all right, what's really going on here? And it hit me. I'm like, okay, what he's describing here is saying, look, if our child asks us for bread, we're not going to give him a stone. If he's asking for fish, we're not going to give him a serpent. Well, the, the opposite is also true. If my son thinks he's asking for bread, but he's actually asking for a stone, because I am a good father, I'm not going to give him the stone. Like y'all, y'all know, y'all teenagers, y'all know. There are times in teenagers they think they're asking for bread, but they're asking for a stone. Amen. And and at, and at some point, like, and this is where we have to wrestle with the otherness of God. And there is a tearing that happens with us. Like literally, the the journey of the fear of the Lord involves a tearing for a new orientation, for a, a new way of being centered on the permanence of God, the reality of God, the, the steadfastness of God. That's why so much when you read in the Psalms, so much is about God's steadfastness, why they're wrestling, they're wrestling with the idea, is God really steadfast? And what I have found is when we have the courage to articulate prayers and we don't live in vague prayers, we have the courage to cry out. We have the courage to ask. Even when we don't get what we think we're going to get. That prayer has a way of creating a process in us that leads to a more perfect understanding, even through our pain, our disappointment, our confusion. It causes us to leave behind these weak ideas of God and how God engages with us and what that means for this life and how that extends into eternity. It causes us to leave those behind and pursue more mature more complete, um, and ultimately more eternal understandings of God's word, of God's ways, and God's nature and his character. A couple takeaways for me there, Addison. Yeah. Was, yeah. Um, you and Jenny are wired. I'm going run into the Greek. I'm running to the Greek. I gotta go get the Greek translation. I mean, I've never I'll be right back. I gotta go get the Greek. So there's the teacher. I, I love that. And I love that I have people like you both in my life to tell me what the Greek says. <laughs> And the, the second thing is, is the next time my kid asks for Snapchat, I'm just going to tell him it's a stone and it's not. <laughs> You'd be like, look, that's Snapchat. That's not bread. That's just a stone. a stone. That's right. And Addison says so. <laughs> I'm going to go give you Mr. Addison's phone number. Bring it up with him. Uh, man, I just want to say, first off, man, I, I love your heart, dude. I just, you know, I, I think for everybody listening here, it's, for me, I, I get the the pleasure to be in a weekly Bible study with you, and just and just know that your time spent with God is is deep and it's true. And when I sit next to you and I see your Bible, I look at how marked up my Bible is, and it's pretty marked up. But I can't beat you. You're just I'm not, I'm not there's no competition here. But like, dude, like it's clear that you've 
dove into the word, sought after the Lord. And I think this is something that's, this is a message that's very, very important for people. Something that um, I think can just be a, yeah, I pray, but it's like, there's just so much more there. That is the gateway to a deep, intimate, beautiful relationship with our creator. And I just want to say thank you for putting in the work and creating this project. So before we wrap, we're going to ask you three questions that we always ask everybody. They're, they're intense. They're serious. I hope you're ready. Are you ready? I hope so. I had, if I had a button. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the first question is, what's the first question? What's a book that's changed yeah, your life? There's so many questions. But Besides the, first, the Bible. Oh, my gosh. A book. I'm a. just glad you didn't ask me, what is the book that has changed your life? Because oh. that would be... I, I would just struggle. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to answer. It's hard enough to say a book that changed my life. Hmm. I would say brother Brother Lawrence's book, Practice of the Presence of God or Practicing the Presence of God. Um, I read that when I was really young. And I read it in one sitting and I read the whole thing. And and that was um I, I did a year-long prayer internship after uh school with 80 other students and that book was a big part of the reason why I went that direction. But yeah, I would say that was, that's been one of them. There's a lot. I mean, this is really hard though. Like the moment I say it, I'm like, no, I got to pick a different one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Next time. You'll, you'll be ready with the other answer. Uh, what's a habit that's changed your life? A habit that has changed my life. Well, I make the bed every morning. So my wife really likes that. No, I would say the habit that, that has changed my life would be my time, my time in scripture. I'm not just choosing that because whatever. I mean, if you look at, there was a, a study done recently. I can't remember what group did it, but basically they found if you are in scripture at least four times a week, everything in your life is better. Every metric across the board is better. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's I think it is the most transformative habit for us to develop. So I, I would, I would have to choose that one. I love it. All right. And what advice, if you're sitting across from that strapping young Addison Revere, <laughs> what would, you, what advice would you give to the younger you? Oh man, I would say, I would tell myself, listen, and I write about this in words with God. So this is coming from a place of pain too, but I would say, Hey, everything meaningful happens in the present. Like be, be present to the presence of God, be present to the presence of others. What Jesus says in Matthew six, about not worrying about tomorrow. That's not just lip service. Like you, you like as a young person, a vision of desire, of passion, I would say you can indeed engage with tomorrow, but there's a right way to engage with tomorrow and there's a wrong way to engage with tomorrow. Don't try to see tomorrow around the day. See tomorrow by being in tune with the day. You will find foresight through insight, but any attempt at foresight will be compromised if you're not a person of insight, if you're not present to the day. And I would share that with my 18, 19, 20-year-old self. I would share it again with my 25-year-old self, 30-year-old self, 35-year-old self. I would all I would like listen, you need to understand this to a greater level because as you do, everything about how you engage with the day changes. So that's I think that's what I would share. That's good. That's so so good. between us, we've realized, and I'd be curious, and I think I know the answer based on what you're saying, like she's very nostalgic. She likes to look back. I'm very futuristic. I look like to look forward. So I think hopefully together it kind of pulls us in the present, but <laughs> into the present. What about what about you? Are you a forward or back or forward naturally? One hundred percent. Yeah, one. I, I don't really struggle with the back, but I do get lost in the forward. And normally, people who deal with anxiety, it's forward. These a couple of guys out of Harvard, they did this study and they found that this is kind of terrifying. We spend almost fifty percent of our lives living in the what they call the non-present. 
And they also found in this study that how we engage with whatever we're doing is a better indicator of joy and satisfaction than what we're doing. So how we engage with the activity is more important than the activity itself when it comes to joy, satisfaction, and happiness. And so it makes sense that the enemy of our soul would be terrified of us being present to what's actually happening. Mm. And so I think the enemy is, is bent on either getting us to live in the past or live in the future. And the reality is only God lives in the past, present, and future. We only live in the present. So when we try to live in the past, present, and future, we essentially give ourselves over to idolatry. And when we're given over to idolatry, our lives fall apart. Like that's Paul's big idea in Romans 1. So when I started to get that, I was like, oh, my goodness, God, please give me the grace to be in the present because I don't want to be 10 years from now and looking back and be like, I actually didn't live because I never lived in the present. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. That's good, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending your time here today, brother. Obviously, people know where to get your email to the end of your <laughs> after they get the book. Where can yes. they find you, follow you, stalk you, all that good stuff? Yeah, well, uh, I am on social some on Addison Vivere on Instagram. I'm not on there much, but I have started something and it's at wordswithgod.org. And I'm sending out a, a weekly email on prayer as a way of life. I send it out Sunday evenings for the week ahead. And I have close to 10,000 people who said like, hey, I want to embrace prayer as a way of life. And it's this, this community of people who are committed to being formed through prayer. And eventually I believe it's gonna turn into in-person events and different types of experiences and stuff like that, which I'm excited about. But um, they can go there and learn more about that as well. But listen, I struggle with like saying, hey, you need to buy this, but I'm just telling y'all, this book rocked me. This book felt like a gift. It didn't feel like something that was just an extension of me. It felt like a gift. And already the testimonies and stuff that I'm hearing, I know that it's a work of grace and it's a gift of grace. And I strongly recommend that y'all get your hands on it. So there's that. All right. You guys heard Thank it. You. Yep. Go get it. We love it. Addison, appreciate you, brother. And until next time. Thank See you. you. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Hey guys, thank you so much for diving into this episode with us. Our hope and prayer every time is that God inspires you and blesses you through this work that we're doing. Look, if you hadn't had the chance yet, go find us on iTunes, subscribe, uh, head over to our website, therhythmofus.com. And hey, of course, we're on social media and we would love to hear from you and hear what God's doing in your life. Also, you can find all the info from today's episode, all the books and links mentioned over at our website, therhythmofus.com. Is that our website? I think that is okay, our website. Go to therhythmofus.com. All right. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for diving in. That's a wrap on this episode of the Rhythm of Us podcast.